Chapter Nineteen of The Caves of Fear by John Blaine. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Matt Berard. Chapter Nineteen. Canton Charlie's. You've come a long way, lads," Keaton Yates said, "from golden mice to blue sheep and back to golden mice again. I must say you should be thoroughly familiar with the animal kingdom by now." they very familiar with animal world chada agreed also sometimes become part of that world by making jackasses of themselves like when shooting blue sheep the boys had each bagged a blue sheep but at considerable risk to life and limb in the process they had gotten themselves marooned on a rock ledge high above corsa lankan from which sang with the help of the bearers had managed to rescue them. Never mind, Carl Bradley said. They got their sheep, even if it almost took their necks to do it. Those heads will make nice trophies by the time the taxidermist is through with them. The heads were in a Hong Kong shop, being mounted. Bradley had promised to ship them back to Spindrift by sea. Canton Charlie made his way through the empty tables, followed by a Chinese who carried a tray laden with glasses. "'More dragon's blood, meaning coke,' Zircon said with a smile. "'I suggest we drink a toast to success, and then get down to business. Carl, you've kept us waiting long enough to hear your story.' "'It's the sort of tale that should be heard on a full stomach,' the ethnologist said. "'That's why I've made you wait.' now that we've filled up on charlie's excellent chow we'll talk we have a little while before the mob gathers bradley had insisted that all of them including keaton yates dine with him at the golden mouse before swapping experiences and completing the story of the heavy water they had eaten real cantonese food each using chopsticks and they were full to the ears scotty grinned at canton charlie we owe you an apology, he said. The proprietor of the Golden Mouse shook his head. The other way around, Carl and Chata told me you would come. If I'd kept a better lookout while waiting for Carl to come after I sent him a message, that Portuguese would never have had a chance to tip off Long Shadow, and the Chinese who dropped the message would have been caught in the act. After talking it over, they had decided that the Portuguese seaman, who had been giving himself a manicure with a dagger, probably had been the one who tipped off Long Shadow about three Americans who had asked for Chada. Of course, Long Shadow knew of Chada's connection with Bradley because of the incidents in Singapore. Canton Charlie grinned evilly. That Portuguese won't do any more spying for Long Shadow. His meaning was clear. Rick's eyes met Scotty's. "'Pull up a chair, Charlie,' Carl Bradley said. "'We'll drink a toast and coke to our former pals, Long Shadow and Worthington Co.' Zircon lifted his glass, then took a sip. "'Long Shadow said he and Co. were finished,' he recalled. "'And you said as much in your note, or—' implied it but i'm hanged if i know why they're finished 
They were healthy enough when we left them at Corsa Lincoln. Bradley smiled without mirth. To understand their punishment, you must understand what has happened. Suppose I start at the beginning. Best place, Chada said. Better start at Singapore, boss. Plenty I don't know, too. All right, Chada. To begin with, I first heard about heavy water in Singapore from an informant with whom I deal. I'm no physicist, of course. I wouldn't know heavy water if I were served coffee made with the stuff. But I saw the implications right away, and I sent a cable to Washington. You know about that because Steve Ames contacted Hartson Brandt, if I'm right. You're right, Rick agreed. At the time, I knew nothing except that heavy water had appeared in Singapore. I continued investigations at top speed. I managed to locate the house, which was headquarters for the heavy water dealers, again with the aid of an informant. At first I thought the stuff was coming overland, down the Malay Peninsula. Then I learned it was being shipped in by boat from Hong Kong. Customers were starting to come into the Golden Mouse. Bradley lowered his voice so as not to be overheard. At the same time, the dealers spotted Chada and me. It wasn't hard to do for an expert such as we were up against. I walked into our hotel room and was jumped by Worthington Co. and some Chinese thugs. We had it hot and heavy for a while, and some blood was shed. He grinned. Not mine, I'm happy to say. I managed to get clear and decided I'd better drop out of sight, so I became a Eurasian seaman. It's a disguise I've used before, and it's quite safe. Rick studied Bradley's face. He had a bone-deep tan, and his face, although pleasant, had no really distinguishing features. It was easy to see how he could become a Eurasian. Disguise, after all, was just putting yourself into a part. It wasn't a matter of makeup. I hurried to Hong Kong, Bradley went on, sure that Chada would piece together the story enough to follow me. I stopped at Saigon on the way and contacted our legation there. The minister had received the cable sent to all missions in the Far East, giving your names, descriptions, and time of arrival in Hong Kong. The timing must have been close, Scotty said. It was. The legation had received the cable only hours before my arrival. It probably was the day you left New York. Also, I think it was the day I left Singapore, Chara said. I got to Hong Kong and contacted Charlie, Bradley continued. Tell us what you found out, Charlie. Charlie shrugged. No trouble. I got in touch with a pal in the Chinese Beggars Guild. He checked up and found out that a lot of coolies carrying goatskin water bags were crossing from China to Kowloon, and from Kowloon to the island. Of course, a lot of that goes on anyway, but some of the coolies weren't selling their water. I got my hands on one of the coolies, and we sort of told him he ought to sing us a song about where the water came from. Charlie grinned. He sang all right. He yodeled real good about Corsa Lincoln. He also said Long Shadow had been at the monastery. Do you know Long Shadow? Rick asked Bradley. Yes, I'd never met him, but I knew him by reputation. Charlie stood up. Got to take care of the customers. See you later. As he left, 
Bradley continued. Next step was to get a line on the source of the heavy water. We had the name of Corselenkin, but that was all. I assumed it was being produced industrially, somewhere on the Tibetan border, but that would take equipment, of course, so I put the consulate commercial section to work, finding out if Long Shadow had been dabbling in industrial equipment. That's routine for a consulate. Well, he hadn't, but what turned up but the fact that he had imported some Nansen bottles. I begin to see how it shaped up, Zircon said. It wasn't difficult, really, Bradley admitted. Just took plugging. At that time, Chada arrived from Singapore, bringing Long Shadow with him, although he didn't know it. Unhappy me, Chada complained. Bradley smiled at the Hindu boy. Don't be unhappy. Long Shadow is the best in the business. Well, I told Chada to go to Corso Lincoln, then drop my disguise. As I had hoped, Long Shadow started following me, dropping Chada. Once Chada was on his way, I ditched Long Shadow and became the Eurasian once more. We had given Charlie instructions about you. He got in touch with me the moment you showed up, but I was delayed. Meanwhile, you had been spotted, probably when you asked for Chada. Long Shadow must have figured the odds were piling up. He'd lost me, so he probably decided to keep the odds down by removing all of you. He nodded at Keaton Yates. Thanks to our young British friend, we found you before you'd been knocked in the head. Then I took off after Long Shadow, as you know. Somewhere between times, I'd gotten the council to get a Nansen bottle, a rubber boat, and that other stuff for you. I didn't know why you'd need the rubber boat, but I figured a Nansen bottle meant water, and you'd better be prepared. If we hadn't been trapped in the caverns, we could have used the rubber boat, Rick said, but it was at camp with Singh when we needed it. Fortunes of war, Bradley said. Well, while you were sneaking around through the caves, I kept busy. You probably know that the Far East is the happiest spying ground in the world. There are so many spies they have to spy on each other. He turned suddenly to Keaton Yates. Isn't that right, colleague? The young Englishman's expression never changed. And some are almighty good, he said calmly. Like Bradley, soon as I knew he was on the case, I reported to my superiors, and we dropped the thing like a hot potato, just to avoid being at cross-purposes. We knew that the Americans would tip us off as soon as they had a definite answer. The boys stared at Keaton Yates. But you're a bank clerk, Rick exclaimed. He's also a British intelligence agent, Bradley said, grinning. That's why I insisted he come tonight. We've already informed the British, through channels, that the heavy water menace no longer exists. Keaton Yates is here tonight to get the details. You chaps would be simply amazed at how much valuable information one picks up in a bank, Keaton Yates said. Astounding, although I must say, having lads ask for golden mice, is a bit unusual. Scotty shook his head. And you look so innocent, he complained. 
We believed everything you said. The young Englishman grinned. I am innocent, he replied. No woolly little lamb could be more so. And I did tell you the blessed truth, you know. Even though I didn't mention I had a bit of a job to do as well as having an interest in your welfare. Our own chaps had discovered heavy water was coming into Hong Kong, too, so naturally we were interested. But since Bradley was already on the job, and we cooperate with you Americans on matters atomic, we sat back and waited. I'm astonished, Zircon admitted. But get on with your story, Carl. Right. As I said, spies spy on each other. I contacted a French agent I know, and in the course of having lunch with him, I casually asked how much he had paid for the information about an atomic pile. I was just fishing, of course. Well, he took the bait. He leapt at it like a striking tuna. I knew I had something then. From there on, it wasn't hard to uncover the whole business, just by making contact with the espionage agents of various countries. The Janet man wet his throat with another sip of coke. And business is just what it was. I can't say how long ago Long Shadow found out there was heavy water in the Caves of Fear. I did find out that in his younger days he was something of a scientist, and that he explored the Corsalankan region thoroughly. That was shortly before the discovery of heavy water in Lake Bacal. I think we can assume that he pieced the story together and realized that the lake and the caverns had the same possibilities. It would have been only a matter of scientific curiosity then, but with recent developments in the atomic field, the possibilities took on a new light. He paused as a Filipino brushed by then resumed, lowering his voice so only those at the table could hear. He's a smart one. I've known about him for a long time, as one of the best freelance agents in the Far East. He has a good reputation for accuracy, and he sells, or sold, information to the highest bidder. He was writing on his reputation in this deal, because as soon as the facts became known, as they had to sooner or later, he was all washed up as a spy. I don't get it, Rick complained. I'll explain. He was selling a story to every country that was interested. He would contact the embassy, consulate, or chief espionage agent of, say, country X. He would report that country Y had a secret atomic pile, nuclear reactor that is, in the mountains of West China. You can imagine the excitement. He would sell that information for a reasonable price. Then, for a considerably higher price, he would undertake to collect a sample of the deuterium they were using. Once he collected the sample, which of course came from Corsair-Lincoln, he would contract to give them the location of the reactor for a very high price indeed. He made the rounds country by country, changing his story as needed. Of course, he collected in advance for the location, which was to be delivered later, after he had risked his life getting it. That was the story he used, and some of the best agents in the Orient fell for it. 
The daring ingenuity of the thing made Rick shake his head. But they were certain to catch up with him. Of course he knew it, but he intended to stall in giving them the final location until he had tapped every possible source. Then I believe he intended handing them some phony location in West China, after which he would disappear and live on the proceeds. He collected enough to make him very wealthy. He hadn't reached us yet, but you can bet that if I hadn't stumbled on the story, he would have made a sale to one of our embassies or consulates. Ours, too, Keaton Yates said. He took advantage of all the interest in atomic weapons, and of his reputation, of course. What about Ko? Scotty asked. Ko had a sideline, Bradley explained. He was selling heavy water to various institutions and schools all over Asia for normal experimental purposes. He claimed to be importing it from England. That was why they were bringing so much out. That is also how we got interested, Keaton Yates said. We got more queries about heavy water at a lower price from one of the schools that had bought Coe's product. Naturally, we knew no heavy water was coming from England, so we got interested very quickly. We sure dropped a monkey wrench in a gold mine, Rick said. Evidently, Zircon agreed. But you haven't explained why Long Shadow and Co. are finished. Keaton Yates laughed grimly. Bradley stretched his legs out. Easy. The story had already spread about heavy water at Corsair Lincoln. Ronnie and I got good word circulating right after we received your cable from Chongqing. By now, all the countries he sold his story to, and that is most countries, know they've been done in the eye, as our British friend would say. Do you know the penalty for a double cross in the espionage racket? A bullet. A knife or a blunt instrument, Keaton Yates said. It's as certain as tomorrow's dawn. Bradley nodded. Also, the llamas wouldn't permit the two of them to remain after their wounds are healed. They are evil men, and the llamas know it. Sooner or later, they'll have to leave the mountains and enter civilization. I know their type. They might survive if they wanted to live alone in the mountains like two wolves but they won't. Rick shuddered. He knew from experience what it was like to be hunted. Ko and Long Shadow would be hunted by agents of a dozen countries or more once they set foot in civilization. After that, it was only a matter of time. The two couldn't escape for long. Now, Bradley said, let's have the details of your trip. A burly English seaman brushed past. I'll be quick, Zircon said. You know. Bradley let out a yelp as a seaman stepped squarely on his foot. Watch out where you're going, you big ox, he exclaimed. The seaman stopped short. Who you callin' a ruddy ox, you little blighter? He grabbed Bradley by the collar. The Janig's man's hands moved in a blur of speed. One struck the seaman's hand away. The second caught him just above the solar plexus. The seaman rocked backward, stumbled over a table, 
occupied by three Portuguese, and crashed to the floor, taking the table with him. One Portuguese clubbed the seaman over the head with a bottle. The second threw a glass at Bradley. The third picked up a chair. "'Look out!' Scotty yelled. He flung his coke into the face of the chair-wielder, then jumped to grab the chair. The Portuguese, who had swung the bottle, threw it at Scotty, missed, and knocked the glass out of the hand of a Sikh seated at a nearby table. The Sikh rose with a battle yell and leapt. Rick lost track after that. For a moment he stood amazed, then jumped to help Chada, who was being tackled from behind by one of the Portuguese. Canton Charlie's was in an uproar. The fight had spread like fire in dead leaves. Rick hadn't been aware of the place filling up, but it was definitely full. Bottles and glasses flew. He ducked a wild swing with a chair. Then, as he stood up, he brought the table with him, dumping it over on three Chinese who were struggling with Scotty. A fist caught him behind the ear. He kicked backward, then whirled, his elbow catching a Filipino sailor in the chest. The Filipino sprawled backward. A bottle whizzed past Rick's ear. He ducked, then rushed to Zircon. The big scientist was holding a British seaman in each hand, busily knocking their heads together. Scotty rose out of his path, swinging. A Eurasian, who had been about to swing with a bottle, stopped short, swaying as Scotty's fist connected. The bottle dropped on Chada, who was crawling out from under a table. An American sailor rushed past, one arm catching Rick and sending him sprawling. Rick swung wildly and pulled his punch just in time to keep from bashing Keith Yates, who was busy with a swarthy man with gold rings in his ears. The place was a madhouse. Bradley went headlong at Rick's feet, jumped up again like a rubber ball, and plunged into the fray. Rick saw with amazement that he was grinning from ear to ear. A Portuguese rose from nowhere and aimed a roundhouse swing at Rick's head. He ducked, then put all his weight into an overhand chop, missed, and fell against the Portuguese. The man threw him off and caught him behind the ear with a short hook. Rick shook his head, dazed. Another punch caught him on the cheek. He lost his temper then and flailed out. One fist connected solidly. The Portuguese vanished to be replaced by someone else. Rick swung until his arms were leaden. Then, in the midst of the turmoil, came a stentorian bellow. Here, listen. He turned. Canton Charlie was standing on the bar, and a sawed-off shotgun roamed impartially over the crowd. The first man who pulls a knife gets this, he shouted. There was a roar from the mob, and the instant of silence dissolved into a melee again. Rick turned back to see how his friends were doing, and saw a fist coming at him. He tried to bring his hands up, but he was too slow. The fist got bigger and bigger and bigger, and exploded into bright lights. His knees buckled, he drifted off into peace and quiet. End of chapter 19